partner's cooking, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's fine. Hello, everybody. My name is Dustin Pischel, and today's guest is Joy- Joyella Johnson. Joyella is a stand-up comedian, actress, and writer. As a stand-up comedian, Joyella has appeared on Late Night with Seth, with Seth Meyers, Comedy Central's Comics to Watch, Wyatt Senex, Night Train for CISO, True TV's Laugh Tracks, and NBC's Stand Up for Diversity Showcase. Joyelle has appeared on HBO's, Cra- HBO's Crashin', and Joyelle is also a warm-up comic for Hasenman Hodges' Patriot Act on Netflix. Joyelle was also a writer for Broad City, and Joyelle has accomplished all of this at such a young age. Please welcome the amazing Joyelle Johnson. Hello, I am so, you did not have to read all of that, my darling. Thank you, I appreciate you so much. So much of that is uh, out of date. I should update my website. (laughs) Oh, yeah, so how long have you been doing stand-up comedy for? As long as you have been alive. Yeah. Um, Exactly as long, what year were you born, 2007? 2008. Okay, I started in 2007, so a year before you were born, I started stand-up comedy. Yeah, Gilbert Gottfried has been doing it for 50 years. Yes, that is amazing. It's one of the things you kind of never stop doing, you know? It's like you don't ever have to retire from stand-up because it's something everybody loves. Dave Chappelle has, like, started when he was 14. Exactly. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's so he was sneaking into comedy clubs when he was yeah. 14 years old. Yeah. I, like, I'm still trying to get into comedy clubs, and sometimes it's hard. Well, like, I haven't got to perform at an actual comedy club, mainly because I don't live near one. Like, I, I, I live, there's some in Boston, but I live in um, Massachusetts, and I live sort of far away from there to a certain degree, yeah. so I don't live in L.A. or New York. Yeah, I, well, I went to college in Boston, so I'm very oh. familiar with the uh, area, and I just did a comedy, uh, the Hideout comedy in Boston, oh. I just did that, up, like, last week or so. Yeah, um, where did you go to college? My parents might have been there. Boston College? Uh, I think my dad went there. Did he? Oh, yes, you are for sure old enough to be my child, so we might have (laughs) been at school together. So, what was, so, what's the worst heckler, so I start off every episode by asking the comedian, what's the worst heckler you have ever had? Worst heckler, um, let's see, oh, good lord, so, I was in a bar in Harlem, and that's in New York, And the bar, um, there's a lot of things that happen in comedy where people will do comedy in places that everyone's not expecting it. Mm -hmm. If you go to a comedy club, everyone's expecting comedy. If you go to a sports bar, there are some people that are just there to watch the sports and they are not interested in the comedy. So this was one of those situations and I had to close the show. So this one guy is at the bar and he's talking loudly the entire time. He's interrupting every single comic. He's not talking to the comics. He's talking to the bartender, his girlfriend on stage. Like, he's just ignoring all the comedy. So finally, when I got up, I was over it. And I was like, let's talk to you since you want to be interrupting the whole entire comedy show. 
and I am a person that has a lot of intuition. So I uh, I kind of heckled him back and said, seems like you might have lost your job recently. I don't remember the whole context of it, but it made the crowd laugh. And then it made his girlfriend laugh. When his girlfriend laughed, he ran up to me on the stage ready to fight me. And the security guard... Yes, the security guard had to come in and put him in a chokehold and got him down to the ground and dragged him out of the bar. And I was still talking mess into the microphone the entire time. The crowd was cracking up and all of the comedians had to walk me to my car at the end because the guy was threatening to beat me up. So that is definitely my worst heckler, somebody who tried to fight me, a man. Yeah, that's crazy. There's a kid in my grade like that. I actually had a similar experience. He was going around trying to fight girls. Like, he attacked one of my classmates. So I had to put him in a headlock. Ooh, you're protecting women out there in these streets, Dustin. I like that. Start early, please. Mm -hmm. We need need your protection sometime. It was so weird, though. Like, it... So, uh, like, he... I actually, he was just, like, attacking everyone that day. I don't know. He was just in a bad mood. Oh, yeah. Always know that if somebody wants to fight, it's their issues, not your issues. I mean, I did definitely provoke it, but, hey, he started it. (laughs) Be quiet. Yeah. There's a comedy show happening. The thing is, like, uh, it's sort of, like, you don't see a lot of stuff like that on YouTube of, like, um, those clips. Sometimes I watch clips of that. And usually, usually, the hecklers aren't as bad as, like, people talk about. It's just, like, I want to see those moments in action. I wish they were all yeah. recorded. Yeah, I mean, this recently happened in my friend Jenny Zagrino, um, who actually is from the Boston area. She just had a guy walk up to her on stage and the other comics had to escort him out the room but she got that on video (laughs) she definitely got that on video this just happened but um yeah i usually hecklers are just what we call a helpful heckler means they're trying to help the show but just no no hecklers are good hecklers so Mm -hmm. shut up if you're at a comedy show be quiet and laugh that's all we want from you yeah like i've always like been worried i have this on and uh, she uh, apparently she used to try to help out the comedians, and 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 now it's just like, like I wasn't that I was, I was wanting to be a comedian at that time. I was in fifth grade, but I've never wrote jokes at that time. I started only writing in six. Well, no, well, yeah, I started writing in seventh grade. I'm going into eighth. Wow. Yeah. So. Starting so early. Yeah. I have been also performing recently. Yeah. Okay. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Is that your new album right there behind you? That is my new album. So what happened here, this is um, the card that Jimmy Fallon held up when I did The Tonight Show, and they sent it to me, and you see on the back... This is what he had to read. So it says all the information. And so that's basically his cue card. So when he sat this on the desk, he read the back of it. And of course, I was like, I want that. So it's just like a printout of my album cover. So I have it in the background for promotion now. Yeah, Yeah, you were interviewed on The Tonight Show. I wasn't interviewed. I did a stand-up set. Oh, I also thought that because I saw you sitting down in the chair. 
I did. I yeah. sat down on the chair afterwards, and that was just kind of like a good night. But it felt good to sit down on that yeah. chair. Like, um, as Judd Apatow um, says it, says that, like, the Tonight Show, that's just endgame. That's where yeah. it is. I mean, I still can't believe I did it. That mm-hmm. happened on May 5th, and I'm still kind of reeling from it. That I mean, I have family members. <laughs> One of my cousins called me, and he was like, yeah, I heard you did something recently. I was like, oh, I did The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you didn't do The Tonight Show. I was like, yeah, The Tonight Show. And he was like, what do you mean, The Tonight? Like, he couldn't, yeah. he couldn't conceptualize that I had done The Tonight Show. So, yeah, it's still kind of mind-blowing for me. Yeah, like... It's so crazy, like, in comedy, like, how you know, like, all these, like, stars, like, because I know some famous people like yourself. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and it's sort of, I'm still trying to get used to it, it, because it's so weird. Yeah, it is weird. It is weird being around and knowing famous people. I've been around a lot of famous people. Um, Judd is actually a very kind person. Yeah. He, he takes, when we were on the set of Crashing, he would take all the cast out to lunch, and we would have these humongous lunches that were like pasta, we'd go to an Italian restaurant, and then it's like, okay, now everyone's tired. Yeah. Like, no, no one wants to shoot after I've eaten an entire pasta meal. Yeah, I actually have a book back there in my book collection of um, mm-hmm. the Sick in the Head book. Okay. Yeah. Have you read that? I haven't. Do your research, though. That is, that's great that you're doing all your research. You're covering all your bases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, how did you get started in in stand-up comedy? Okay, so I moved out to Los Angeles when I graduated from Boston College. My sister got into film school out there, so she got into the USC film school which is extremely prestigious so it's like NYU USC film schools are the best ones and she got into that program and I followed her out to LA and started going to comedy clubs like we would go every couple of months and then started going once a month and then once a week and then twice a week and I joined a group called the comedy playground which was every Wednesday at the Laugh Factory in LA and Kevin Hart and oh. Tiffany Haddish were in the group and the group like disbanded as soon as I got in it because mm-hmm. Kevin Hart had to I don't know go do other things yeah. <laughs> so everyone in the group was a stand-up comedian and when the group broke up a friend of mine was like hey you want to do an open mic and that was when I started doing open mics yeah uh, um uh, that's so cool um it's good that like you moved to LA first Cause um a lot of people like well not a lot of comedians but some people think they can stay in other cities like for, like I understand you might want to start out in a like if you don't know if sure that's what you want to do and you're gonna be successful but once yes. you start making a living off of it I think you should move to L A or New York. Yeah, and the thing is, there are what we call secondary cities. So in a place like Atlanta, Chicago, those are good secondary cities to start, you know, get grow your craft. Boston, you can get in the city there. And then once you, you know, get good enough, then you move to New York or L.A. Mm -hmm. to figure out what the next steps are going to be. So, yeah, truth to that. So 
Um, what was the experience being a warm-up comic for, um, Hazen? I'm sorry, how do you pronounce his last name? Hazen Minhaj. Minhaj's, what was the experience like being a warm-up comic for Hazen Minhaj's Patriot Act on Netflix? Okay, so here's the thing I'm going to tell you about stand-up comedy. The second you conquer something, you're going to do something new that's going to be even more... I don't know, quote unquote, difficult, you know, something you've never done before. And I had never been a warm up comic. And that's a different side of your brain than doing regular stand up. Because for warm up, you got to get the audience ready, you got to ask them questions, get them engaged, and get them completely hyped up yeah. for a television show. So that was just a wholly different experience. And I love Hassan's crowd. He has one of the most diverse crowds that I've ever performed in front of. Um, you know, every color was in the audience. We're brown, black, white, yellow, red. Everyone was in the audience. And it was just basically what I want from America. I want America to be as diverse as possible. Yeah. And I saw that in that audience. And his audience was extremely intelligent. A lot of, you know, doctors and lawyers and PhDs and things like that so I'm a nerd I pride myself in being a nerd I have a lot of nerd references in my comedy so it was a great experience um, doing that show and it was very nerve-wracking I mean I was I was terrified when I first started but I did it and I was good at it yeah I think Hazen like he's like I think he's gonna be like well we're just starting the next generation of comedy like Pete Davidson Hazen Minhaj Mike Ochi um, um, some people like them, so, what, like, I think, like, Hazen Minhaj, he's gonna be a star, I mean, he's doing philosophy, and, like, he's very young, his, like, the 20s or 30s, I think he's in, so, he's gonna be a, well, he already has a star, but he's gonna become, like, the next comedian, I think, of the next generation. Oh yeah. yeah, we um we started working at the comedy cellar at the same time, so he's a great person and he is for sure a star. Yeah. So um um, I love Dave Chappelle and you opened for him, which is yeah. amazing. So what was that experience like? Uh, once again, you know, going back to that whole thing about you know you conquer one yeah. thing and then you got to do something. On the next level, uh, the first time I opened for him was in Little Rock, Arkansas, in front of a crowd of probably about 3,000 people. It was my first time performing in front of that many people, and I got applause breaks. So it was an amazing. So the thing about people that have fans, you know, performing with Hannibal Buress or Hassan or Dave is that they have fans. So whenever they put someone in front of them to open, the fans are usually just happy to be there. Yeah. So Dave has one of those crowds that's just like, hey, whoever comes on, we're going to have a good time with. And it was, I mean, it was a momentous occasion. I got to open for one of my um, idols. Yeah. <laughs> I call him Sensei. He calls me Grasshopper. Oh, is he Sensei? Is he like your mentor? I At, at one point, yeah. Whoa, that's so cool. I mean, <laughs> like, that's amazing having a mentor that's Dave Chappelle. I mean, he is the best stand-up comedian alive. 
He is, yeah. Most people would say that. <laughs> yeah. It's so crazy. Like, some kids in my grade, like, don't even, like, they only know two comedians. Kevin Hart and Jimmy Fallon. Like, I talk about Jerry Seinfeld, um, uh, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, and they're like, who is that? And it's like, how do you not know them? Um, You've done your research. Yeah. I love this. So there's, like, they, um, I'm not saying that, um, they don't even know who, like, other famous people are. They're not comedians, but, like, people like Ellen and Oprah, they don't know who they are. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, if you're not exposed to it, mm-hmm. you're not going to necessarily know, because I grew up with Oprah, so yeah. Oprah was on my television every day I'd come home from school. Oprah's show was on at, like, I think it was 3 o'clock, so we'd come home from school and Oprah would be on, and this was before, you know, all the streaming services, so if something was on, that's all we had to watch. We couldn't yeah. <laughs> we couldn't really flip. We had about 10 channels back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, what was it? So, what's the worst gig you have ever had? Well, besides that one. Worst gig. Oh, my goodness. Um, Worst gig. See, the thing is, it's like, what makes the gigs bad will be sometimes having to travel a really long, like, convoluted way to get somewhere. I'm trying to think of what was the worst gig I've ever had. The worst time I ever had was I got flown out to L.A. to do the um, NBC stand-up mm-hmm. competition, and I'm so proud of myself. I had been auditioning for years for it, and I finally made it to the finals, and the guy in front of me crushed so hard in front of an industry crowd, mm-hmm. and I went up after and bombed like crickets, and there was a bunch of industry people and Wanda Sykes was in the crowd and I bombed so bad that no one would even look at me as <laughs> as they walked out. It was really embarrassing. So that's probably one of the worst times I've had on stage, just complete bomb yeah. <laughs> in front of and a, and a major experience. So was, that, that was pretty terrible. Was it one of those jokes that killed before, but it didn't kill that time? Absolutely, absolutely, because we've been working on this material to get into the competition. So it was time-tested material. I had done it, you know, many, many times before, and it was great. But sometimes you never know when you're going to bomb. You never know when you're going to crush. You go into it every intention to crush, but sometimes that bomb will get you. And it, ooh, it got me that day with crickets in the room. You couldn't, yeah. you could hear a pin drop. <laughs> it yeah. was so quiet. That has happened to me a few times. Like, I do mm-hmm. a joke and, like, I'm like, why didn't that work? That's my best joke. But then when I do mm-hmm. it again, like, people are howling. It's just so weird. Exactly. Exactly. And that just know that that's always going to happen. Yeah. And a piece of advice I got when I first started was to get used to the silence and understand sometimes that they're not laughing at me, they're listening, but also don't get thrown off if one of your time-tested jokes doesn't uh, go over. Don't try not to. I got that same piece of advice. Who did you get it from? Uh, 
a comedian named Issa McGraw, but I think that's most comedians will Uh-oh. generally say that. And, you know, yeah. the, the older comedians will tell younger. Because when I was my first year in comedy, I was similar to you. I'm asking all these older comedians for advice. Yeah. I just wanted to know, you know, and that's one of the things he told me. Yeah, Dana Gold gave me the same advice. Oh. Yeah. So, um, what is some of your craziest stories from being on the road? Crazy stories from being on the road. Let me blow my nose real quick. Okay. Crazy story from being on the road. Um... Hmm. Let me think, because I'm I'm on the road right now. I'm prepping for um, something really major that I oh. can't necessarily announce yet. But are you at a I hotel been... right now? Sorry for interrupting, but you at a ho- hotel right now? I am not. I am home in Atlanta, but I'm flying out tomorrow oh. to go back up to uh, New York and oh. do some shows in Connecticut and stuff. I thought you weren't. Wait, so you live in LA, so are you at, like, um... Atlanta. Oh, I, oh, you moved, oh, because last time you said that you lived in LA. Oh, yeah, I started comedy in LA. Yeah, I started comedy in LA, and then I moved to, um, New York, Mm -hmm. and then now down to Atlanta, but I'm moving back to New York, but, Mm -hmm. uh, crazy road stories, I... I think one of the funnest times was I got into a car with my friend Ramon Rivas in Cleveland, Ohio. I flew into Cleveland and we drove pretty much to uh, Dave Chappelle's house and (laughs) got to party there for a whole entire weekend. Uh, That was pretty cool. That was a crazy weekend. There were a lot of celebrities there. yeah, I'm trying to think of other crazy... I mean, I know I have them. I'm just drawing a blank right now. Dave Chappelle's house. Yeah, he lives, I've like... I've driven all over the country. Dave Chappelle's house. He lives, like, in a... He has a, um... He has, like... He has a lot of land, doesn't he? Yeah, he lives on a farm in Ohio. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't... I, I know how many acres it is, because I heard it somewhere, but I don't want to say. Oh, there's a... There's a reason for it. So, do you know about 40 acres and a mule? Of uh, 40 acres and a mule? Yeah. What does that mean? So, basically, um, back after slavery times, one of the things that black people were going to be offered after we got off the plantation was 40 acres and a mule. That was oh. one of the things that we were offered. And so, uh, Spike Lee named his production company 40 Acres and a Mule. Oh. And Chappelle bought 40 acres <laughs> in Ohio oh. specifically to reference that. Oh, I thought because, like, he has such a large amount of land, like, there aren't that mu- many pieces of land. And when you nail, I know Ohio has a lot of land, but 50 acres mm-hmm. is a lot, so you narrow it down. I didn't want, like, a, I didn't want people, like, oh, this is my, might be where Dave Chappelle lives. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. I don't yeah. think that's available on yeah. Google Maps. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, that's crazy. Dave Chappelle's house. <laughs> yeah, wow. So, um, what was the other, you were about to tell me another story, I believe? Or- I did, I've done, oh, well, okay, so I work for, um, 
women's reproductive rights. I'm a very big women's reproductive rights, um, you know, advocate. And I've traveled all over the country doing shows for that. And I've gone through all of the red states doing shows for that. So as you can imagine, sometimes that might get a little dangerous. Um, We've had people, we've had protesters come to the shows. We've had a lot of men yelling at us on the road. Um, So those were some crazy times, uh, traveling, doing comedy for women's reproductive rights. Yeah. That must be dangerous. So, um... Yes. Yeah. So, Janet, so, um, what comedians inspired you, have inspired you? Oh, wow. Um, Maria Bamford. She's one of my, um, she's one of my really good friends. <laughs> and one of the reasons that she inspires me because she's one of the most original people we have working um there's nobody like maria there's no one doing there's no one that's going to have a joke similar to hers you know and she's also an advocate for mental health you know and i'm a big advocate for therapy i think everyone should be in therapy i think kids should be in therapy parents should be in therapy couples should be in therapy so she's a huge advocate for that so she inspires me all the time to continue writing and digging deeper in my material to make it more personal yeah um yeah um, i'm big on mental health because like i have autism so like yeah so i think that mental health should be like not enough people like i think it should be taught in school but it isn't Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think, you know, it's like to have patience with each mm-hmm. other, especially kids understanding, um, you know, well, I have OCD. Mm-hmm. Maria has OCD. Yeah. You know, I have a skin condition where I, I pick at my skin and yeah. I pull my hair out, okay. you know, and mm-hmm. I didn't know what those things were when I was your age. So it was extremely yeah. frustrating. So imagine, you know, being autistic, but not knowing, mm-hmm. you know, what what it is so yeah. you know i grew up in my whole life and then it wasn't until i was in my 30s till i was like oh this is a condition and once yeah. you know your condition you can understand it and then you can move on in life yeah. so that's the the big deal about mental health is that just understanding it because it's not something that's going to stop you from doing what you want to do yeah um i hear like that in i think the 1800s or something like people that had like I think Down syndrome or like people that were just different uh, in any sort of way, like were locked in cages and it's just like brutal. It's like how yeah. are some people so evil? Yeah, there were a lot of uh, mental hospitals. My my grandmother was, uh, she had a bit of like schizophrenia and mm-hmm. she had to go to a mental hospital for a while and they were not good. I mean, mm-hmm. and you talk about 1800s. Yeah. I'm talking about the 1950s. The 1950s, the mental hospitals weren't good either. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Like, I wonder, like, if what it was like in cave, like, cave times. Like, if people Mm -hmm. knew, like, if someone, like, was, like, more, like, high on the spectrum for autism. Like, well, they might know something about Down syndrome because that affects how you look. But... Mm -hmm. I don't, like, I wonder if they even, if most people even know. I mean, when I was, when I was your age, attention deficit disorder wasn't even, you know, diagnosed yet. So there would be kids in class that would have ADD, 
but we didn't know what ADD was back then, so they were just a bad kid, so you're bad. So now you have to go to the principal all the time. You got to get detention all the time. But now we realize, oh, you might have just needed some Ritalin to focus, you know? Yeah. So it's good that, you know, we're getting better with mental health, but we have a really long way to go. Yeah. I remember once I had Bobby Slayton on my podcast, and he said he had ADD, and I was like, no, it's ADHD, because I didn't know that some people also, I thought it was just ADHD, I didn't know there was such a thing as ADD, because I have ADHD, so I was like, no, it's ADHD, well, I, no, I didn't say that, but I was thinking that in the back of my, my mind, is like, duh, and then a little bit later, I find, I found out, I was like, oh, I'm stupid, (laughs) <laughs> not at all that's just ADD and then we found out ADHD was a thing and yeah. the ADHD is the one where all the kids had to go to the principal's office yeah so um you are gonna so you're gonna so they just Comedy Central um just released released a um um a few Netflix special I mean not Netflix specials Comedy Central released a few Comedy Central specials that are gonna happen. Chanel Alley, um, a friend of mine, yes. has just released. So, um, yes. and you're gonna have one as well. So, so I don't know if you're allowed to give us the name of it yet. Do you have any names that you're considering yet? For my comedy special? Yeah. Um, yeah, then the, so the album Yell Joy and my comedy special is going to be Love Joy. Okay, cool. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, Tiffany had... The premise is I want people to love themselves. Yeah. I want everybody to love themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's sweet. Um, Tiffany Haddish, um, she has a Netflix special called, I think it's She Ready. And then um, uh, her um, series where she has comedians on, um, that's called They Ready. Yes. Yeah. 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 She did the Black Bar, Mit- Black Bar Mitzvah as well. Okay. Wait, what's a black bar mitzvah? Uh, Tiffany, <laughs> that's the name of her most recent Netflix special. Okay. Black bar mitzvah, yeah. Oh, um, I, she did a recent movie with, um... Billy uh, Crystal. Yeah, Billy Crystal. Um, Alan's Why Bell also co-wrote it. I watched it. Does it have anything to do with that? No, okay. no, not at all. Um, I think that this is a separate comedy special oh, that she just did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a regular stand-up special. Cool. I love her stand-up comedy. Aw, she, yeah. yeah, she's one of the reasons. Tiffany Haddish, Jeannie Ashore, and Vanessa Fraction are the three comedians that are the reason I'm a female comic. Like, yeah. I got to watch them when I first started and learn you know how to do everything pretty much by watching them the thing is when i got into comedy no one really inspired me i just want i just like whoa now people inspire me but back then mm-hmm. i was i wasn't really that familiar with any stand-up comedians like i knew right. some people i knew like um people like conan i've known of people like conan o'brien jimmy fallon people that host late night and i knew of kevin hart but i don't think anyone really else yeah, I mean, it it just depends. Like, I had HBO. Yeah. Once again, when I was your age, I had HBO, and I got to watch George Carlin yeah. when I was, you know, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And that I was like, what? That's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to be able to influence people and make them think different. Yeah. So. 
I love George Carlin's comedy. Something that scares me, though, is, like, him versus his hecklers. I'm just, like, he just goes so brutal on them. Like, I understand you have I understand you have to take them down, but he's just like, I hope your son dies. I hope your mother dies. And I'm just like, dang, ch- take a chill pill. I mean, it's stressful when you're trying to do a job because no one goes to these people's jobs and heckles them. Mm-hmm. Unless maybe they work at the DMV. Yeah. <laughs> that would, um... Yeah, I hope they do more shows like Seinfeld and the... Is Crashing, is that about, um... I know it has a lot of comedians on. Is that about stand-up comedy or show business? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, I love shows about those. A good, like... If they had another... If they had, like, a remake of Seinfeld, a good show... Like, then would be, like, um... Maybe, uh... Yeah, so maybe Jerry Seinfeld or... Well, Jerry Seinfeld, he was, like... Um, but more of a, um, in the show he was based of an upcoming comedian, which wouldn't work anymore because he's so famous. Right, 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 Yeah, right. so get a comedian and then you have them do something like that and a good show idea would have them go to, like, a, um, waitress's job and just heckle them. Like, someone that heckled them in the audience and then the comedian heckles them. Yeah. That'd be funny. Yeah. So, um... Sorry, I'm just looking for... I had another question, I think. No worries. Okay, so, um... Yeah, so, um... So, are you... So, um... Is there anything else? I'm not... Yeah, so is there anything else that you're currently working on that you could share us about? Yes, I... Well, it's gonna be announced Mm -hmm. soon, but yeah, I'm working on my first comedy special, so that's coming out really soon. Yeah. That's so cool, like, that's just amazing. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm really excited. Do you know what comedy club it's gonna, excuse me, um, what comedy club it's gonna be recorded at? Or the... Uh, hopefully the Bell House in Brooklyn, which okay. is a uh, venue, so it's not yeah. a comedy club per se, but I've performed there many, many times, yeah. and I love that venue. I uh, have, like, a dream of, um... Well, yeah, I want to record a comedy special when I'm older at, like, just a really, like, um, fancy, I think, yeah, sort of, like, this high-end fancy play theater place and just do a not, and just, like, perform stand-up comedy there, like, on Broadway and, say, turning Broadway upside down. I don't know why, yeah. (laughs) Vision it. If yeah. you see it, if you write it down, it will happen. Trust yeah. me. So thank you so very much for being a guest on my podcast. It was an honor having you on. And before we go, is there any social media or anything you would like to plug? Yes, my album Yell Joy is available on all platforms. Stream it, listen to it, download it, buy it. You can buy the vinyl from blondemedicine.com. So get Yell Joy, listen to Yell Joy, stream Yell Joy, even if you're not listening to it, so I can get some money. Okay, so thank you so very much for being on my podcast, and goodbye, and have a fantastic day. Have a great day, Dustin. Thank you, love. Good luck. Bye. You too. Um, so I want to develop a distinct point of view. So how do you think, like, my point of view can be different from other comedians? By telling your truth. By, by telling your truth. It's like, you know, when you grow up a certain way, you have a certain kind of life.
lifestyle, of family uh, experiences, and your truth will be different than anybody else's, even your parents, or even, you know, it's all, that's the key. The thing with Dave Chappelle and that I love about him the most is he tells his truth. His mm-hmm. foundation for everything he does is what his truth, and he's not trying to please the audience Although, you know, pleasing the audience is, is is nice when it happens, but it's not his goal to try to please the audience. He's trying mm-hmm. to tell his truth and show his vulnerability and, uh, you know, and share that. Uh, you know, but it's about doing the best thing for him. So whatever your stories are, whatever you, you know, and looking deep within yourself, like, you know, when I was this, you know, at experience and it was good or had this experience and I realized oh my god looking back I'm so glad I've evolved to become this person mm-hmm. um, so it's you know as we grow we get new experiences like and you know in this society nowadays um, somebody might make a joke that's you know insensitive when they're first starting out yeah. and then they grow as a human and they evolve and they realize, okay, this is not how I feel and how I want to share things. Here's now, just my truth now is whatever that truth is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people really is within of us. You've always been there, darn thing. It's, it's you've had, you, you have the, you have your truth inside of you. Your comedy is inside of you right now and it's up to you to find it okay so um what do you think like are there any exercises to help you find your point of view or anything i don't know about exercises i mean there might be but in reality the real exercise is to look within yourself Mm -hmm. you know it's always good to be writing all the time as we talked about last time so tell a story you know write a story about your life and, and it doesn't have to be funny. It's just the experience of doing it. It's like, and so if you write a story or a paragraph three times a week, in three weeks from now, you'll have nine stories and your writing will get better and you'll be looking within yourself. Now, again, you don't have to try to write something funny. Funny will happen as you see the correlation between one story and another or... Um, funny will happen because you realize, oh my God, what I can see how that ties it into something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I forget what that trick is called, but um, it's not like when you put two dissimilar ideas together and then you like make a joke of how they're related. Right. Yeah. That, that's just natural. That's you know, like I I've written some stuff and then I realize, oh my God, I wrote something very similar a year ago and let me see if I can find that story and then combine and uh, you know cross reference and you know it's it's actually fun Mm -hmm, yeah I have done a few stuff like that um if I've done a joke in the past and sometimes I might have a joke that's sort of similar, and uh, I actually sometimes like connect them together. Right. That's really fun, and then you get a callback sometimes to yeah. some other joke. Like 
I was helping a guy with a joke that he had, and he was talking about, and he had, he's disabled, and one of his hands doesn't work very well, and can't hold the mic with that hand or whatever. <laughs> and he tells a story about how he met some guy, and the guy said, you're going to be my right-hand man. And he <laughs> said, that's great, because my, <laughs> my left hand doesn't work very well, <clears throat> you know? Yeah. So that's one joke that he wrote a while ago. And then he was talking about he was at a pizza place, and some guy had the, the other hand that, you know, he had the same issue that he had, the same, whatever you want to call it, this disabled, uh, uh, whatever it is. And uh, and it was, the other guy had the opposite hand Uh-oh. that worked. So he said, oh, my left-hand man. Yeah. Um, so, two different stories that ended up working in the same sense mm-hmm. and being a callback for the other one. Yeah. So, yeah. Um. Also, so, like, how have you, like, how long do you think it takes for you to find your point of view? Uh, I think there, there's this, uh, I don't know if I brought this quote up when we talked last, but mm-hmm. they asked Michelangelo, how he made this incredible statue of David out of this block of stone. And he said, I just chipped away at the pieces that were in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now all that's left is this, what it is. And that is how we become more ourselves. I keep shifting away at all the stuff that's not us and going deep yard. So there's no, like, time It might take a year, it might take a week. It might take six years to find out who you really are with each, but it's a lesson along the way that really helps you to become, you know, to, to learn who you are. Yeah, um, I do like to, um, why I like jokes, um, what I think is a good strategy is when you, you it's basically you, but you're exaggerated. So my point, uh, can I tell you, so of what I've been doing comedy for about maybe 16, 14 months, I've been writing jokes and performing. So can I tell you what I think my point of view is? Sure. So I think like, um, I have, um, autism and ADHD, so I have a lot of energy. So part of it is sort of like, um, I forget what the thing's called when you have, um, I have a thin of it on my phone. Um, I'm, so I'm basically a hyperactive, fed up person, um, which something I like about that is a lot of times you have comedians, the comedians that are fed up, pretty much besides Bill Burr, all are all monotone voice. They're just monotone. And then I also, I sort of like, something I think adds on to it is also that like I act sort of like, 
it's sort of old soul, like, because I don't act my age, I act a lot older, which sometimes, which can make for funny situations. Yes. So does that sound... See, that's, that's who you are, mm-hmm. and that's what makes it great, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, you're realizing all this about yourself, and, and in turn, you're using that in your reality, which is what happens. But you don't want to try to create creative ones. I mean, you can, mm-hmm. like Gilbert Gottfried or, you know, Richard Lewis or people like that who create a character, but that digital is a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you, if you just be yourself, you have, you can go a thousand different ways because that's who you are. Mm-hmm. And that will never change. Like you're on stage and you're ad-libbing while you're being yourself. Yeah. So... so give you the chance to always be yourself and always be, be that way, you know? And I, I think that, you know, a lot of comedians, I'm not sure if this is what you're doing, but you try to create something that that is, is like from some other mold that you're trying to get. But in reality, it's already in you. Now it's up to you to find out what your truth is and also to find out what, and also to realize, wait a second, how can I, like for instance, I wrote a joke years ago and it was, it was kind of weak, but it got mm-hmm. laughs, but it was too easy. And then I realized a lot of little things about myself, like I was making fun of people and then I realized I was actually jealous of those people back then. And then I was able to rewrite the joke now using my vulnerability of the fact that I was I was jealous, okay. you know, and yeah. so, but I don't know if that makes sense to you, but what it is, is that's how, that's how life goes, life is just a constant discovery all the time, now, mm-hmm. being autistic, you have this drive, this energy, yeah. well, that's who you are, now, you might fantasize about not having autism, and yeah. then thinking about what would my life be like without it? Or what, how better is my life because I'm involved with it? Or how much do I love who I am no matter what's going on in my world? If I have a good day, if I have a bad day, if I have a, I uh, stub my toe, if I, you know. It, so you realize those things about yourself. Yeah. And you take a long look at yourself and go, wait a second, I'm a human being. I have happiness, I have sadness, I have, you know, I have adventure, I have boring times. You know, and you just make notes about all that stuff and build up who you are as opposed to trying to find, create something that you're not. Okay, um, thank you so very much for all of this um, advice and insight. And, um, yeah, goodbye and have an amazing day. I appreciate it. You the same. And let's pray for uh, Norm that yeah. he, he's doing okay where he is, you know. Yeah. Bye. Bye, bye, Justin. Okay. Is this still? Yeah, that's still recording. Woo!